Well, what's up, everybody? Hope everybody's having a phenomenal... I don't, I don't technically know if this is 4th of July weekend or next week is 4th of July weekend because July 4th falls on a Wednesday. So it's kind of like, I say let's celebrate both weekends. I say let's just go ahead and make both weekends 4th of July weekend, and that's awesome. We're super glad that you're here. If you're joining us online on Facebook or on our website, or if you're in... Uh, if you're in Sweetwater, Tennessee, we want to say hello to all of our great friends up there. Hope everybody has had a phenomenal week. We're in the fourth week of a five-part series on spiritual warfare. And if you've missed any of our messages, you can go to YouTube. We've got a Second Chance YouTube channel. You can also go to um, podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. You can download the messages absolutely free and catch up. But we're in Mark chapter 5 today is where we're going to be if you want to join in. And today, we're going to continue, like I said, our talk about spiritual warfare. Now, in order to kind of set us up, I want to share with you a birthday gift that was given to me last week. Last week was my birthday, and they made me get in this room and unwrap these presents. And this was one of the birthday presents I received. It's the very first Speedo I've ever owned in my life. Um, I've never put it on, just to kind of help people with that visual, because um, just so you'll know, I've never put this on. But let's just, let's just think for a second. If the camera would have came on today, or you would have shown up, and this is all I would have been wearing, how many of you would have been slightly uncomfortable? Would you raise your hand? Okay, dear God, that's everybody in the room. All right, so, yeah. Yeah, because wearing this in public would just, would just be weird. Can we all agree? Like, you don't even have to be a Christian, and you can agree with this. So, Let's pretend for just a second that after church today, um, you, go to, you go to Target or you go out to eat and somebody walks in and they're just wearing one of these. That's it. They're just wearing one of these. Once again, how many of you would think that's a little awkward? Would you just, yeah, 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 yeah. Even Because we're in South Carolina. Maybe if you're in Europe, you, you wear these. I, I don't know, but we don't wear a lot of these in, in South Carolina. Now, let's, we'll get rid of this. Hey, hold on to that. All right, so... <laughs> You can have that, by the way. <laughs> let's say, though, let's take it a step further. And just use your imagination with me. Let's say you go to Target today or you go to Starbucks or you go um, to a restaurant to eat and somebody walks in the room completely naked. No clothes on. The only thing they're wearing is a smile, okay? That's the only thing they're wearing. How many of you, once again, I know I'm doing this a lot, would think that that is a little bit weird? Would you raise your hand? Like, no, nobody, nobody would go... Well, let's not judge because we don't know their story. I don't care what their story is. They're naked, and I'm, this, is, this is awkward. There, it would cause a little bit of shame for us, but when I said that, I'll guarantee you that nobody, whether you're watching or you're in the room, when you're watching online or in the room, thought, that's a great idea. I'm going to get naked and go to Target today. I mean, nobody thought that because nakedness, don't miss this, nakedness and shame often go hand in hand. I've asked this question dozens of times, and every time I've asked it, I've got a 100% response, so I won't even ask. I know that everybody here, if I were to ask the question, how many of you would change one thing about your physical appearance, just about everybody would raise their hand because there's something about our physical appearance that if we're completely honest, we're a little bit ashamed of it. Because here's the deal, nakedness, and shame go hand in hand. And the reason I'm going to talk about this is one of the elements of spiritual warfare 
that is incredibly serious but isn't talked about a whole lot is this element of shame. We talked about this before, that when we see spiritual warfare, most of us, our educational spiritual warfare comes from um, movies and Hollywood and not Scripture. But when we look at the Scriptures, we see that the enemy intentionally uses shame to try to hold people back from an abundant life in Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about it today. We're going to go to our first scripture, um, Mark chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says this. And we talked about this last week, but we're picking up where we left off last week. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. Now, Legion refers to a Roman legion, which could have been up to 6,000 Roman soldiers. So there's a lot of demons in this guy, all right? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Now, look at verse 10. Verse 10 is huge. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, there's two, there's two main words that I want to associate with this particular verse, and they're not going to pop up on the screen, but if you're a note taker, you can write them down. It's territory and authority. Territory and authority. Territory and authority. Because some people, I've, I've read some commentaries and things like that on spiritual warfare, and they wonder, are demons assigned to certain territories? Like if, and we could go through the scriptures and we could have examined that, but everybody... I think yes, by the way, but it's not something I'm going to argue about. So if you want to argue about it, you can find another pastor somewhere in America. He'd be glad to argue with you about it. Um, but there are things that are territorial. Would you, would, you, would you agree? Like recently, somebody asked me, uh, when we get in the building, which looks to be now toward the end of September, when we, when we get in the building, would you consider doing a Saturday night service? And the answer is no. The, because of the territory that we live in. Now, I have some wonderful friends um, all across the United States that do Saturday night services and they work. But I wouldn't do a Saturday night service because Saturday, Saturday in September equals what? College football, people. And it, could you imagine? Like, I wouldn't show up and I'm the preacher, all right? So <laughs> that's a territory thing. And as we look at certain parts of the world, though, there are certain territories that do seem to have certain strongholds. And once again, that's a whole nother message, a whole nother Bible study, actually, for a whole nother time. I'm not wanting to talk about territory necessarily. I'm wanting to talk about authority. Because in this text, we see the authority of Jesus. Legion, like I said, could stand for up to 6,000 people, 6,000 demons, versus one. Now, if a fight's about to go down, and there's 6,000 people over here, and there's one over here, I'm putting my money on the 6,000. But then if this person is Jesus, it completely changes the fight. 6,000 demons are begging Jesus over and over, don't send us here, don't do that. It's very clear who has the authority in this text. And so when it comes to the concept of spiritual warfare, one of the things that we've got to understand is I'm going to say it again. It's not Jesus and Satan going mano y mano. It is literally Jesus reigns. He's supreme. He has all authority. It would be equal to, let's say you got a kindergartner, and he's the most athletic kindergartner in his kindergarten class. He can run faster than any kindergartner. He, he's the toughest. He's the, he's the hands down the most athletic kindergartner in the world. And so somebody that thinks it's a great idea for this kindergartner to fight Floyd Mayweather. 
Now, if you don't know who Floyd Mayweather is, he's like 50 and 0 as a boxer. I think 26 of his wins have became by, by knockout. He's like arguably one of the best boxers of all time. Now, I don't care how awesome your kindergartner is. I don't care if they are wearing the coolest boxing outfit ever. I don't care if their walkout music is We Will Rock You. I don't care as soon as the kindergartner gets in the ring. Nobody would go, well, you know, the kindergartner might have a chance. You know, Floyd, you know, maybe he didn't take the fight, fight seriously. There is no way the kindergartner wins that fight. Now, all of us could agree with that. It's the same concept here. The demons are constantly asking Jesus for permission. And the reason I want to say that is because later on, we've got to come back to Jesus has authority over what shames us. Jesus really does have authority over what shames us. The reason so many of us fall victim to shame over and over and over again is we focus on the shame more than the Savior. And I'm speaking from personal experience. So that's, that's what we're seeing in this text. Now, the Bible goes on to say, a large herd of pigs, bacon, was feeding on the nearby hillside. Now, for years, I just kind of glanced over this verse. But th the word that we're going to associate with this right here is the word unclean. Just think about that word for a second, unclean. All of us could agree that there are things that are just simply gross, uh, Carly, I was thinking about you the other day because I walked. No, okay, that was bad. Carly's gross. No, I walked out of my apartment and there was a cockroach um, dead on the, and Carly, hate, she thinks they're gross. I almost took a picture and sent it to her, but the last time I did that, she didn't talk to me for a long time. I might go back and do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So we all, like, for example, I used to work in the restaurant industry and um, one of the toughest conversations I ever had to have was with a customer um, who got a free cup. It was a free cup of coffee, by the way. Just went, and he got to the bottom of it. And when he finished his last sip, he noticed there was a slug in the bottom of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but it was free. Um, and it was obviously dead. It didn't drink that much. But I remember having to have that conversation. So all of us, all of us, now that we're all about to throw up a little bit in our mouth, all of us can agree that there are things that we, we would consider to be unclean. The reason I'm saying that is because Mark keeps going back to an image that he wants us to see over and over again in the scriptures. It starts with a conversation where Jesus, we've talked about this, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. That's the, where they were is where the Gentiles lived or where the Jews lived. Where they were going were where the Gentiles lived. They were going for a, from a clean territory to an unclean territory because the Gentiles were considered to be unclean. When they got to the unclean territory, they essentially land in a graveyard, the tombs. The tombs were considered to be an unclean place. Dead people were considered to be unclean. When, we, when they get to the tombs, they meet a demon-possessed guy. This guy was considered by society to be unclean. And then Mark, for an exclamation point, wants us to know that there's some pigs on feeding on hills nearby. Pigs were considered to be unclean animals. All through this text, Mark is saying, unclean, 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 unclean. And some of you are asking, where are you going with this, Perry? It's real simple. Jesus, not, Jesus is not scared of what's unclean. Jesus isn't scared of unclean things. 
I'm personally grateful because that means he's not scared to me, of me. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think, I think instead, as a, as a follower of Christ, if we spent less time labeling people and more time loving people, we would make a dramatic difference in the world. If we would spend less time labeling people unclean, that person's unclean, that person's doing this. If we would spend less time labeling and more time lo loving because Jesus did not go to this region to punish the unclean person. He went to the region because he was pursuing the unclean person. And if you're here today in any capacity and you feel like your life is jacked up and when it comes to God, you feel this weird feeling, that weird feeling is not Jesus trying to get into your life to punish you. He's trying to pursue you to, de to deliver you from what ultimately will destroy you. Just like he did, the demon-possessed guy. Now, the scripture goes on to say, the demons beg Jesus. Do you see a theme here? They, they keep begging Jesus. Authority. Remember I said that. Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Okay? He gave them permission. Once again, authority. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Now, there's a lot in these verses to unpack. Um, first thing, when we look at things, we see them from different perspectives. Like if we see something play out, I might have one vantage point, you might have another. So I'm, I'm 47, I had to think about that for a second. I'm 47 years old, so you gotta go all the way back to the 1980s, so if you weren't alive in the 1980s, you're gonna have to Google this, but one of my favorite movies of all time, it still is one of my favorite movies of all time, is Rocky IV, okay? Rocky is the saddest thing in the world, but Rocky IV was amazing. And here's why, here's why, here's why. If you've never seen Rocky IV, during the 1980s, America and the Soviet Union were, were locked up in what was called the Cold War. And so America didn't like Russia, Russia didn't like America. I know, I know there's tension right now, I know there's tension right now, but, but like in the 1980s, it was like real, 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 real tense. And so in Rocky IV, Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, beats up the Russian. And any time an American beats up a Russian, that was a really awesome thing in 1984. If you're watching right now and you're from Russia, I'm sorry about that. So, so I love this movie. And I would, so when I'm sitting around talking with guys, hey, what's one of the greatest movies of all time? And you know, Braveheart's always in the conversation. Gladiator's always in the conversation. And I always bring up Rocky IV. Because, and I, like, listen, anytime I bring it up in a group of people that have seen it, they all agree with me until recently. A few years ago, I'm talking about Rocky IV, and there was, like, I noticed the room kind of getting, like, really uncomfortable. And so I just thought I should talk about it more, because obviously they didn't understand. <laughs> and over in the corner, there's a guy, and he looks at me, and he goes, I do not like that movie. <laughs> and I thought, I was, I, I'm, I, I'm not sharp. And I was like, really? Why not? He goes, I'm a Russian. <laughs> Never thought about that. Never thought about watching that movie from a Russian's point of view. Changes the perspective, right? 
something a little bit closer to home, a couple years ago, um, Clemson won the national championship. Now, if you're a South Carolina fan, you can't identify with winning anything in football. But Clemson in football won the national championship. I just, we just lost everybody on Facebook from Columbia. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to celebrate this. This is fun. This is exciting. I'm going to put something out on social media that everybody will love. I thought it was a really clever statement. I just put on Twitter, roll tears because they beat Alabama. I thought it was hilarious. I discovered two things. Number one. People in Alabama do have the internet. Had no idea. That was a huge surprise. Number two, not everybody thought that was funny. Not everybody. I mean, there were pe- I mean people told me that my mother and father were never married in other terms. Um, I, like, it, it got really, really serious. So when we look at things, we got to look at things with different vantage points, which is the reason I want to come back to this story. If you're the apostles and you see this happen, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, you, you've never seen anything like this. Can you imagine seeing this and there and the pigs and they go, and they kind of run down the hill and you're like, what? Because I thought pigs, pigs can swim, by the way. So there's a little bit more going on here. If you're the demon-possessed guy and you just get delivered from like thousands of demons, I, I'm, just, I'm just guessing that had to be a great day. It's a great day for everybody in this story unless you're the pig farmer. Okay, if you're the pig farmer, this day sucks, right? (laughs) Because if you add up the value of the pigs, it's somewhere between one and $1.5 million. Your portfolio just got wiped out. So, you you, you know, you ride your camel to work, you clock in, you check your iPhone, you got your staff, and you see Jesus and the little naked man over here, and a little naked man, and all of a sudden there's this interaction, and all of a sudden you look at your pigs, and they freak out and run down the hill, and they drown, and this is your responsibility. So what does the Bible say he did? He, He ran, those tending the pigs ran off. And don't miss this. We always run from Jesus when we don't understand what he's doing. There's a lot of people out there that have ran from God. And and listen, I'm not blaming you. I've done this too. We run from God when something tragic happens. We're all going to have to agree that 2,000 pigs drowning is tragic. When something tragic happens and we don't understand the whole story, we'll always run from Jesus when it should be our heart, even though it's hard. Listen, I know this is difficult to press in and understand him. This is what happened when, when my mother died when I was 11 years old. My mother passed away when I was 11 years old. And I didn't understand what Jesus is doing. I still don't fully understand it. But instead of pressing in, I ran away. And I'm just saying that because there are some people out there that if you were to tell your story, some of the trauma that you've personally experienced in your life, it's heartbreaking. But so many people... Use it as an excuse to run away from God. And I'm not discounting what may have happened, and I'm not discounting that it wasn't bad. What I'm saying is there are times when when we don't understand him, that's why it's called faith. When we don't understand him, we've still got to trust him, even when we don't feel like it. And so I, I just want to talk to anybody that might be running from God because something tragic legitimately happened in your life. Stop. I just want to invite you today to stop running it and just consider that he really is Lord 
He has authority over everything, and he's working for our good because ultimately, ultimately, look what happens in this story. And the pig farmers didn't understand this. The demons, we see what their ultimate goal was. The, Jesus said in John chapter, 10 and 10, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So what the demons did to the pigs, they were ultimately going to do to the man. And so Jesus took what was unclean out of him, which is ultimately what he wants to do for all of us. Now, we'll talk more about that next week when we wrap the series up. In fact, next week, next week, if you are somebody or you know somebody that says there's nothing in the Bible that I can identify with or agree with, next week, I'm going to prove you wrong. You, you, I'm telling you, there's a passage in the scripture, even if you're not a Christian, you're going to go, that's me. All right, I'll talk about that. Wanda, I know you hate it when I do that. All right, so here we go. Here we go. When they came to Jesus, so all the pig farmer went and got a bunch of people, you know, because they didn't have Instagram then. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, for years, I would read this passage of Scripture and just kind of skim right over it. Seems pretty simple. Until about five years ago, I was on a biblical study trip in Israel with my friend Arye, who's, who's like one of the smartest, godliest men I've ever met in my life. And we're standing in the place where people believe this event happened. And he looks at me and he says, the man is dressed. Where does he get the clothes? And he, and he looked at me and I was like, I, I don't know, TJ Maxx, I mean, maybe, maybe Nordstrom Rack, I don't know, maybe there's a Target there or something. And he, looked, he looks at me and this was always his answer. He goes, it's in the text. It's always in the text. Look in the text. So I'm reading, looking, reading. I was like, I don't, I don't know, REA. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, where did this guy get the clothes? And REA takes me back. And some of y'all maybe have forgotten this, but I told you not to forget it. Mark chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And Aria asked us that day, he said, why would a fishing boat have a cushion? This is a blue-collar job. These are hardworking men. This wasn't a yacht. This wasn't a luxury boat. This was a fishing boat. And I still didn't get it until Ari looked at me and said, the cushion was the clothing that Jesus not only planned to deliver this guy from demons, but to cover his shame by taking the clothing along. And that should be good news to all of us. Jesus doesn't want to just forgive us of our sins. He wants to cover our shame and our nakedness. That's what salvation is. It's not just, hey, I prayed a prayer, I checked a box, I get to get into heaven. It's our Savior covers our shame. We even see it in the text. He's preparing to cover the guy's shame before he ever gets there. Now, there's another interaction that takes place, and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to put it for you on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you can write this down in Zechariah chapter 3, because we're like, of course, this guy, the demon-possessed guy, 6,000 demon guy, he needs his shame to be covered, 
But there's another snapshot in Scripture we get. Zechariah is a prophet, and he gets this vision from, from God, and the Scripture says this. This is so fascinating to me. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Now, I can understand Satan accusing the 6,000 demon guy, okay? I mean, there's probably some stuff like he was running around, he's naked, he's cutting himself, and he knocked that off. I mean, I can understand that. But this is Joshua the high priest. This is like a good person. This is just a reminder that on our best day, like on our best day, we need the grace of God. I'm talking about the day we get up and we just we sing a worship song and we float into the kitchen because the Holy Spirit just kind of carries us in there and we open the Bible and we read it for an hour and then we pray and then we get in our car and it's out of gas and instead of getting angry, we go, praise the Lord, this is an opportunity for me to share the gospel of Christ with somebody at the gas pump and we just, we get to work and we sign up two people to go on a mission trip and we just feel, okay, on that day, which by the way, if that day happens, you're smoking crack and that's an issue that we probably need to talk about, but even on that day, we all need the grace of God. Here we see, here we see Joshua, the, the most moral person in the land, and Satan accusing him. Now, I don't know about you, but everything that Satan accuses me with, they're just bullets that I've given him. Like, he don't have to make up stuff on, hey, you did this, you did this, you did this. That's not the problem. It's, it's that your accusations begin to call shame not when he says, this is what you did, but this is who you are. You are dirty. You are gross. You are this. He starts identifying you by your sin. That's what Satan does. Which is, at the end of the day, it, it all alludes back to a fight going on. How many, how many of you, I'm just kind of curious, and I'm going to look in this room. How many of you have ever physically been in a real fight with somebody? Raise your hand. I just want to see. Okay, that's about half the room. About half the room. Half the room. Yeah, we, we know. Well, Jan almost fought last week. Somebody tried to break in your house, right? Mm. It wasn't smart. That's not a house you want to break into. <laughs> I noticed my hand was up. And, and the reason I say that is because every once in a while, you'll talk to somebody about this and they'll go, you know, nobody ever really wins a fight. Oh, I disagree, because I had my butt kicked once, so you do win, and there, there is a loser, all right? I remember in the sixth grade, um, there was a guy that wanted to fight me. I forgot why we wanted to fight, but his name was Scott. Now, back in, back in the 1980s, in the sixth grade, I don't know if they still had this, but there was always a guy in the sixth grade that had failed like four times, and he had a full beard, and he drove to elementary school, right? And he had a full-time job and a family. Okay, that guy, Scott, you got to imagine this. Scott wanted to fight me. And I was scared because I was like, Scott's going to kick my tail. I mean, I never will forget being scared of this. There's another guy in the school, and his name was Randy. And Randy had failed more than Scott, so he was tougher. Like, Randy was drawing Social Security in the sixth grade, right? And so Randy, I never will forget, Randy came up to me one day, and he said, is Scott, are, are you and Scott okay? I was like, no, nah, man, Scott's upset because something. I forgot, I, I really, I forgot. And he said, you tell Scott if he's going to get to you, He's got to go through me. I know, man, you don't, man, you, I was walking around the playground that day going, hey, Scott, I got, hey, 
You talk to Randy, hey, I, I, got a, I, got, I got a word from Randy for you. And I walked with so much confidence, not because of me, but because Randy had told me he had my back. Now, what if we as followers of Christ could have that kind of confidence? Because in this text, see, you got to imagine, here's the high priest. Here's Satan accusing him. He did this. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is what's going on. And the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, the Lord said to Satan. Who said to Satan? The Lord. Joshua kept his mouth shut. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, Joshua didn't say a word. It wasn't Joshua's fight. It was the Lord's fight. And the Lord rebuked Satan. And if he did it for Joshua, he will do it for us. That's why, that's why, that's why. And I've had to learn how to do this. When I start dealing with shame about stuff in my past, I've had to literally learn how to say out loud, Lord, I give this to you. Like, the, trust me, trust me. There's something powerful about just speaking it out loud. Lord, I give this to you. I mean, it, it's, it's true, but Lord, I give this to you. And it's really awesome when instead of us trying to fight our battles, we allow Jesus to step in and fight those battles for us because he didn't just come to save us. He came to cover our shame because the enemy says, this is who you are. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are mine. You are bought. You are paid for. You are clean. You are redeemed. You are holy. You are pure. That's who Jesus says we are. And we just got to, anytime the enemy attacks us with something like that, we got to say, Lord, I, I give this accusation to you and let God fight for us. Because we see in the very next verse, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. I mean, he was wearing filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. That's, that's nakedness. That's shameful. That's that's, that's bad. In fact, in the Bible, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve recognized they, they were naked, the Bible says they were ashamed. So what's going on in this text? But we got to keep reading. Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, also your shame. If we will allow Jesus, he will take away our shame. I have taken away your sin. And I will put fine garments on you. Jesus didn't come to just save us, but he came to save, he came to, he came to cover our shame. There's nothing we can do about the past. Nothing we can do about it. But listen, if you don't get anything I said today, I want you to get this. What we've done is not who we are if we are in Christ. What we've done is not who we are. Jesus does not look at us and say, add it. Jesus does not look at us and say, 
bad person. Jesus is not, does not look at us and say, alcoholic. Jesus does not look at us and say, drug addict. Jesus does not look at us and say, adulterer or divorce. Jesus looks at us and he sees us if we're in Christ. He sees us as pure and clean. He knew every stupid, foolish, sinful decision we would ever make before we were even created and created us anyway and went ahead and arranged for the payment to be made. So if you're carrying shame today, I believe the reason that we carry shame is we simply haven't surrendered that shame to the Savior. This is what I did. I'm not going to argue with that. But it's not who I am. With that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everyone here today. God, I know there are so many of us that deal with shame on a consistent basis. Some of us wake up with it. Some of us get reminded of it throughout the day. Some of us get reminded of it from other people. And Jesus, I want to pray for every single person today that might be dealing with some sort of shame. That Father, right now, they would just surrender that shame to you. Whatever they walked in today being accused of by the enemy, Father, I pray that you would just give them the courage right now to say, Lord, I give that to you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, you, if that's you, you just right now, just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I give you this. I give you this. I give you this. Just start list, listing them out. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come in your life. He saves you from your sin, but he saves us from our shame as well. And no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what's happened in your life, Jesus will come into your life today if you will just ask him to. So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, you, you feel like the guy with dirty clothes in that text, then I want you just right where you sit right now to pray in your heart and just say, Jesus Christ, right now, I ask you to come into my life. Cover my sin and my shame. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed to receive Christ, if you're at LifeSpring, would you just put your hand up in the air because we just want to celebrate with you at LifeSpring. If you're online, if you're on our website, if you'll just hit the hand raise emoji. Or if you're on Facebook, if you'll just do a hand raise, we would love to celebrate with you, help you take your next steps because Jesus, when he saved you today, that's not the finish line. That, that's not the finish line. That's the starting block. Jesus, thank you so much that you cover our shame. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, let me tell you something real practical before we tune out. Something I learned, I've learned how to do, and this is an exercise that I do over and over again, is you take the shame, you take the things that you're ashamed of. I mean, if you really do deal with this on a, on a consistent basis, take them, write them down, write them down on a piece of paper, and then literally take a lighter, go outside and burn them and just watch them. I'm telling you, there's something very freeing about this. Take them that lighter, piece of paper, and, burn, and, just, and just sometimes you got to do that. So I've had to do that once a week sometimes. But there's something about writing them down, speaking it out loud, 
and burning it because you know what? Jesus took all that stuff away. I want to say thank you for everybody for tuning in today. And as always, thank you for giving the second chance. For those of you that give every single week, you make this ministry possible. Thank you for those of you that have been given the 250K fund. We're going to have a major update in two weeks. Two weeks from today, in fact, I've titled that message, the most important message I've ever preached at Second Chance Church. And that's how creative I am. So that's the title of that message in two weeks. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving. We really do believe here that the best is yet to come.